Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Political Football, the podcast that digs into the global political stories behind the sport. I'm Jason Cowley, editor of The New Statesman. I'm Stephen Bush, special correspondent of The New Statesman. And this is Political Football, the last in our series of World Cup special podcasts in which we discuss the politics behind the sport. I'm delighted that our guest today is Helen Thompson, professor of political economy at Cambridge and a star of the Talking Politics podcast. You're too expensive for us, so we haven't bought you in the transfer market. You're not a free transfer, so should we say you're a loan? It's a loan deal, we've got you. It's a loan, we've got you today. Our in-house professor, John Bew, isn't here today, but he did tip France, so no doubt he'll be delighted with the result. Um, But we do have a professor, we have Helen. Stephen, you also tipped France, and then you switched to Croatia midway through the tournament, but both of your teams were in the final. What did you think? Were you happy with the final result? I was. So my um, my partner went to Sciences Po. Lots of her friends are French. We go to France quite regularly. Uh, some of them are coming round this evening. And I thought that it would, among other things, make for a bad atmosphere if France had, had lost. And obviously, because of even though there aren't actually any current Arsenal players in the setup, I have a kind of long-standing affection for the French national team because it's tended to have one or two key Arsenal players in its in its setup in my lifetime. And also because I had done lots of uh, scrubbing up on the politics of the teams for this uh, World Cup, I realised that I was actually deeply against the Croatian FA getting a World Cup win because... Why was that? Because it turns out and they've done all sorts of quite sort of untoward things. Modric claimed in one court that he, in testimony, that he had seen uh, dodgy behaviour. Then he said in court... What do you mean by dodgy behaviour? I'm not sure if I'm going to get the names entirely correct here, but... This bloke called Mamik, who's a very key figure in Croatian football, signed people up to a bunch of deals in which he got you know, their, a proportion of their earnings throughout their life. And it is believed in some cases that players' assets will transfer to him after death. He's seen by Croatian football fans as a very corrupt figure. In one of their protests against him, they etched a swastika on the field in a Croatia game, not because they sympathised with the Nazis, but because they wanted to get Croatia kicked out of international football in a protest. And then Modric, who obviously I'm preloaded to be biased against because he used to play for Spurs, in a key court case, changed his testimony at the 11th hour. And he himself is now, A, facing protests from fans, and B, is uh, going to be faced with perjury charges. Is he? This is, a, this, yeah. is, this is the Luka Modric I never knew. I mean, I've always admired him greatly as one of the world's um, great playmakers and this rather diminutive figure, but a wonderful conductor of play 
on the football pitch. I may have to look into these allegations against him, but I'm not going to do that now. Helen, first, were you satisfied with the final? And two, what did you make of the tournament overall? Well, I thought it was a pretty good final and we've watched some pretty not very good finals True, <laughs> for quite some time. It was frustrating, I think, in the sense that it's hard to argue that France really deserved to win. And most of the time, I think that the team that deserves to win probably wins these World Cup finals. And Croatia, it, it, I have very mixed feelings about Croatia and what football means in, uh, in Croatia. But at the same time, that this team had been building to something for a long time. And this was really their last chance to achieve something. And it all fell apart in ways, which was partly bad luck because of the refereeing decisions. But also I think you saw the, the difficulties that small countries have is, is that they have a group of top-class, world-class players, Rakitic and, and Modric, obviously, in, in particular. But the defence is pretty weak. Particular aspects of the defence are pretty weak. And I think anyone who watches Premier League football and watches Lovren defend week in, week yes. out, knows that there are limits yeah. and that you're not necessarily going to win the World Cup. And you don't think this group of players, I mean, I think Modric is 32, Rakitic Rakit, is 30, Perisic yeah. is 29, and Dusic is what? 30, also my, 30. My pronunciation of his name yeah. is as bad as Glenn Hoddle's, but um, he's 32, however you pronounce his name. And you're concerned that this was their chance? I think that was his chance. I mean, I think that teams age quite quickly these days. Yes. I mean, you've only got to look at what happened to the German team from 2014 to now. It is pretty hard to play even Champions League top football at the kind of age that Modric is for much longer. Even Ronaldo, you might say, is, is now, who's an astonishingly fit player, yeah. is moving into a slower league now. He's Going to 33 years you old. Said, so I think, that's, I think this was it really for Croatia. You don't. You say France didn't deserve to win. I mean, if you look at their route to the final, they beat Argentina, yeah. they beat... Did they beat Argentina? They beat they Argentina. Argentina. They beat Uruguay. Yeah. They beat a brilliant Belgium side and then they beat Croatia. No, 40. I didn't mean that they didn't deserve to win overall. I mean, they didn't deserve to win that final. I, I, thought see, that Cro- I, see, I yes. think that Croatia, for the most part, were better, except for the, Fran- the, the French defence is excellent and the Croatian defence is not Isn't, excellent. Yeah. And I think Croatia had 66% of the yeah. of the play and they, there was a relentlessness, certainly in the there first half. There was in the half. first half. I mean, France were, were scarcely in it. I mean, I know that that sounds paradoxical when they scored two goals, but... Um, I mean, even someone like Kante, who is an astonishingly good player, is as he was really uh, harried and all the kinds of things that he usually does actually to other people were being were being done to him. I, th- I think that if you were a French fan at half time, you would have been pretty nervous because I think if things had carried on as they were, then you could easily have seen Croatian equal, Croatia equalise. Yes, and Kante, I think was, Croatia, Kante I think was removed, wasn't he? He was. Taken off, yeah. yeah, I think, and actually France got better, strangely, when Kante got taken yes. off. I think also Croatia lack a clinical finisher because they had enough chances really to be maybe still ahead, even having conceded two in the first. Yes. Stephen, um, a rather farcical um, presentation at the end when Putin appeared on the pitch, and then it started to rain. I don't know if the gods had a statement upon Putin and Russia. He seemed at one point to have the only one with an umbrella and then others. You know, Macron's nose started to bleed on, on top of his nose. Well, he, must, he was kissing all the players and must have, someone must have banged his head against Macron's nose but it was sort of chaotic and then the French players started to celebrate but without the World Cup and then it had to be brought to them but um, was this a satisfying win for the French nation when you bear in mind the the traumas and stresses that that France has endured with the Paris attacks and other terrorist attacks the rise of National Front Le Pen winning what 30 plus percent of the vote in the presidential election yeah, I mean, yes, definitely it was a, a satisfying win for France. I mean, in terms of this this group of uh, my partner's friends, and they're all in some WhatsApp group where they 
to be honest, largely they discussed the fact that they don't like Macron. One of them was head of the Young Socialists, worked on Hamon's campaign. So as you can imagine, she hates everything to do with modern French politics. But they were all ecstatic. You could see all of those scenes of people cheering on the... Yeah, it's obviously it's always brilliant to win a World Cup. And even though, uh, again, at halftime, there was very much a feeling of, how are we ahead? I still don't really understand how France somehow managed to be battered and be out up, be 2-1 up. But obviously in that second half, when Mbappe had that great pass, Pogba managed to get away that the, the goal for the third, it became a more sort of uplifting result. And I think because they have been the best team in the tournament, despite their slightly odd way they managed to somehow be thrashed while also thrashing Croatia. It, it, it doesn't feel like an undeserved World Cup in the way that there is always that slight asterisk, I think, when you win a World Cup at home, as for England in 1966 and France in 98. Yeah, Argentina in 78. They can defend, Helen. I think that's the key, isn't it? That's the key difference um, with this French team and, me- and many of the other so-called big sides who went out early from the, from the competition. No, absolutely, because I think if you look at the way in which um, Croatia played at several times in the tournament, particularly England in the first half, also the Denmark game in the in the second half, it was very easy to see how you put pressure upon them, and particularly you got the fullbacks um, into the into the game, and they seemed unable um, to um, respond. And you, you thought on both occasions they could actually let in quite a number of goals. And I think in the Denmark game, they would have Denmark had anything like a competent um, striker. The thing about France though, is, is that even when they had those periods where they actually were under quite sustained attack, including obviously in the final in the in the in the first half, but I think also earlier in the tournament in a certain phase in the game against Argentina, is the defence was pretty robust. Now you can still say they conceded quite a lot of goals against Argentina. Um but on the whole, I think the France had the best defence. And I think there is a case for saying that the teams with the best defence probably end up winning these tournaments. Yeah. And was Mbappe, do you think, the most exciting um, player in the tournament? Scored a goal in the final age 19. He, he's quite a phenomenon, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I say this as someone who for a long time has not particularly liked Ronaldo. Yeah. But I still think the most exciting performance of the tournament was Ronaldo's in the 3-3 game. Against Spain. Spain. Yeah. Is it was just that was utterly phenomenal. Yeah, second game of the tournament when he scored that late. Yeah, and free the, kick. The, the personal circumstances he was under yes. when he did it to literally personally drag that team through in the way in which he did. And I don't think you can say Mbappe dragged that French team no. through. Stephen, are you he was Mbappe, of course, was part of that brilliant Monaco side a couple of years ago that got to the semi-final of the Champions League, and then many of the players have subsequently left Monaco and gone off to other clubs. Great shame, really. Were you a great admirer of what, what he achieved? There have been comparisons made already with Pele. Wenger, Wenger is one who made that comparison a couple of years ago about, about Mbappe. Well, he has got that sort of wonderful pace and he also has great vision in his passing. But I think Helen is exactly right that although he glittered and did lots of beautiful things, I find it hard to sustain the argument than if um, he had been struck down with the flu in the first group game, then we wouldn't still be talking about a, a French uh, World Cup uh, victory. I mean, even against Argentina, where he, of course, was the architect, they have other players with pace who, given the astonishing kind of freedom of, of Argentina that he was given, would not, I think, have, uh, have, have benefited. He's a very... Although they had a non-scoring striker, didn't they? Our old friend Olivier Giroud didn't score, say, yeah. didn't score at all. As a massive kind of Giroud truther, I am going <laughs> to... He, he created space for the other players and he did do his uh, his tacticals. He had more aerial clearances than any striker at any other 
World Cup. But he does allow, in the same way he allowed, um, you know, kind of Nasri and other players to play off him. Do I mean Nasri? No, I don't. I mean, yeah. Nasri, um, Nasri, that's a flashback I, to the old Arsenal. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, he, he created he created space for for other for other you know more kind of deadly attacking talents to flourish. I think he was a key part of uh, of lead, of of their their tournament success. I mean, I think I feel in every week I've slagged off Deschamps, and I'm going to do it again. I I do think the mystery <laughs> of 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 starting Giroud was against Belgium, right? Where the beauty of Giroud is, if a team defends deep, uh, he disrupts them, and against a team uh, like Croatia who are weak in the air and struggle when their fullbacks are pressured he made sense as a starter I would have uh, gone with uh, with Dembele up front against uh, against Belgium because they were always going to have a high line and the benefit because of, of his Giroud, pace yeah D- Dembele who's at yeah, Barcelona the, yeah the benefit of Giroud uh, I think eludes me in that that game and I think that is probably why he was fairly quiet and was not that influential. And interestingly, the player that he re- uh, who replaced him at Arsenal, Lacazette, wasn't even in the French squad, didn't even make the final 22 for the World Cup. Well, yeah, I do think that... I mean, I, I, I do think that is probably one of the... Of, of a mystifying and painful season for Arsenal, that to me is one of the more mystifying bits of business because Lacazette feels like a type of player of whom Arsenal do not have a shortage. And against Atletico in the second leg and indeed in the first leg when they went down to 10 and decided to defend deep. There is no one in the Arsenal squad who can replace the extra outlet Giroud gave them. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Helen, the, when France won the World Cup in 98, there was a great sort of flourishing uh, of optimism in France about the multiracial, multicultural nature of, of that French team. Not only the, the old French Caribbean, but Francophone Africa, but also um, many of the players have been born in other countries, or at least their parents have. I think Trezeguet had grown up in Argentina. You had a Breton in the team, Givache. You had a Basque, Lissazaru, playing at fullback. So you had an expression or a representation of the, of the entire French nation. 
And there was this great sense of um, hope, particularly among the liberal French. But within four years, Le Pen had reached the second round of the presidential elections in 2002, which Chirac ended up winning. Macron has obviously emerged at a time of great um, instability in Europe, a period of many of us are speaking of illiberal democracies. He erupted from the centre to become president. His team, which in many ways is a, is a vision of the France that he wants and represents, has now won the World Cup. Should we, have, should we read something into the success of the team, into Macron and, and this moment for France? I think that it's symbolically pretty important for um, Macron because there has been a whole France's back rhetoric to what Macron's been about. I think the parallels with Make America Great Again could have been drawn a little bit more closely than some people have in seeing how important the assertion of France as France has been to the Macron um, project. And this is the perfect symbol for that, winning the World Cup. And, you know, he expressed his enthusiasm in a way that was going to be described as iconic. It was on Twitter all over the place when the game um, finished. I think that the, the history of the French team in this respect is more complicated though and it is is pretty interesting is is that that moment didn't just disappear in politics it disappeared in football as well because by the time it came to the next World Cup there were pretty clear racial tensions in that French team they went out as I recall without winning a game 2002 2002 I think they lost to Senegal in the in the in the in the the opening game those those tensions deepened and then 2010 South Africa was a disaster it was complete and utter disaster I mean so it was a false dawn it was a false dawn and and what it turned into was is is the alienation of the French fans from the team because for many actually some of the same reasons as what happened in the English um, case, but I think also having that dimension to it, and it was pretty clear that if you go back to um, Jean-Marie Le Pen, that he tried to turn the French team of 1998 into something to be critical about, some sense that they weren't actually French. So in this sense, I think it's a, it is an encouraging story because it, it, it started from hope, it went down into something that was much darker than that in all kinds of ways and not encouraging for the future of French football and now it seems to have come back and now that whole critique of the team not being French seems to have disappeared and these these look like a pretty unified group of players which nothing and having a good relationship with their manager which could not or coach rather which could not be said for what happened in 2010. And and many of the players are drawn from the the Bonneur, uh, the suburbs uh, around Paris, Mbappe, Pogba, Kante, Matuidi, Mendy who didn't play much, Zonzi. Um, there's a player such as Riyad Mahrez, who represents Algeria, is also from that 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 those dispossessed suburbs from which many of the French terrorists have also um, emerged. Does this tell us something about what's happening out there in in those those suburbs of, of Paris and Lyon and other cities? I'm not sure about that. It certainly tells us something, I think, about the fact that the uh, the French uh, football infrastructure is producing a lot of very talented players from a range of places within within France yes. and I think that the English could learn England could learn, could learn something could, about could that. learn could learn could learn something about that because if you look at the number of players that France used between the qualifying games for this tournament which they didn't actually do you know like hugely well I think it's time to recall at some point they drew with Iceland or maybe maybe I could have got that wrong, but anyway, but they used a, a, a you know a, a, a lot of different players. I mean, this is quite a different team in some respects from the one that got to the final of the European um, Championships. Yes. Um, that's 
pretty encouraging for the future of French football. And I think it's pretty encouraging for the future of France in the sense, sense of being able to draw on such a, a range of different people. Helen makes a good point there, Stephen, about England. Why aren't we able to do something similar? Um, I do, that's, uh, is it because so many French players go abroad and therefore create opportunities for other French players to fill, the, to fill their places? I think it's a combination of things. I think it is partly, of course, that there is a, a diaspora of French players playing abroad and therefore, and partly because of the weakness of the, the French league other than at the very top, does mean that players leave it. Uh, they are more reliant on their academy system. But it is also, um, and obviously the hope isn't one of the benefits of the success of this England size side will be that uh, Southgate and the kind of bigger project around St George's will be given more time to develop. But France is now seeing the benefits of having had a very professional approach to how it finds and nurtures youth talent, not just at Clairefontaine, but it has something like 11 academies around around the country. And it is a, a much, they have a much more scientific approach to uh, to football and to the, the development of footballers and indeed of coaches. And I think that is why, because the weirdness of the last, uh, the 1998 generation is in an odd way, they, they, I mean, they did massively underachieve in terms of their talent. Yes, they reached another World Cup final and then... Zidane they won the Euros two years later. Yeah, they won the Euros. But that was a team which contained within it um, one of the greatest midfielders of all time and for a long period, the best striker in the world at that point. You mean Zidane and Andre? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it is quite remarkable for that. And it also was not a slouch defensively, right? So it, it did do, I would argue, remarkably badly across that that decade of of their career. Uh, but because of the kind of sort of wider, more professionalised approach to, to football, uh, they have done significantly better. And that is the main thing that England can learn. It is, of course, the thing that the FA is currently trying to learn. The question I have is whether or not, seeing as I candidly do not expect England to win Euro 2022, is whether or not um, in Euro 2022 all of that gets ripped up uh, Ashworth gets kicked out, Southgate gets kicked out, and we kind of go back to going, oh, we'll need to get Mourinho in or some other celebrity manager. Yeah, Helen, were you were you cheered by England's run to the semi-final? I was, but I think, as a lot of people have said, the thing that cheered me up the most was simply being able to like the team again. Yes. It was, that was such a psychological yes. relief yes. after everything that, uh, that, that had happened over the, the last, at least the last decade, but maybe I'd say going back to the 2004 tournament, the Euros was perhaps the last time where all the other stuff that went with it didn't really um, really get in the way. I mean, I think that it it, it was great to have um, Southgate as a symbol. I think that I'm not perhaps as won over by some by his judgment. <laughs> I think that, you know, that some of his... There's been a little bit of grumbling about his judgment yeah. just, just in the last week. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's... That he was unable to respond to events. Absolutely, I mean, he, he and that's, stuck to that tactical rigidity. I think that that was. I think his limitations really were showing yes. up in the second half against Croatia. Yes. I mean, aside from anything else, he should have had Danny Rose on for yes. Ashley Young a, a lot, a lot yeah. earlier than he did. I mean, the problems there were evident in the first half, let alone the beginning yeah. of the the second half. But he didn't really respond, and I think that he didn't he, have a plan B. In other words, he didn't have a plan B, and frustrate. So he, he didn't, didn't have a plan he B. He didn't have a plan words. B. And, and I think that as I, much as I like him as a person, there was a point in the middle of that second half where I thought, this is why he got Middlesbrough relegated. <laughs> <laughs> because he's got a 
fixed idea in his head about football tactics, not about other things. And I think as a as a nurturer of talent, that there's something you know really quite remarkable um, about him. But you still do have to have football brain, and 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 also you need a certain degree of ruthlessness, which I think would have resulted, say, in taking Ashley Young off. Which or I think or I, Harry Kane even. The Harry Kane one I wouldn't have done because just you keep, you know, strikers, even if they're not playing particularly well on, who who have got the ability to put the ball in the back of the net. But someone who's been ripped apart, I think, has to come off and didn't, didn't see that um, from him. But I still don't want to minimise the achievement of turning this back into a team that the fans, England fans can and it was more than it was more actually I'd say just from anecdotal evidence it was more than actually hardcore football fans like us it was large numbers of people who are largely indifferent to football most of the time really felt that they were part of something and I think that that's I think that's a good thing for sport in this country I think it's probably a good thing for politics in this country and having something that was unifying mm-hmm. at this incredibly um, divisive uh Time. He seemed to understand that too, didn't he? He, talk, he did seem spoke to understand. about the football team as, as, as offering something more than simply yeah. the football. I think he did. I mean, to go back to the football itself, I think the other thing that is frustrating is the fact that we do not seem able to nurture a young playmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. I mean, if you go back also to um, Southgate's judgment in this respect, Jesse Lingard is not a central midfield player, and we obviously had somebody who lots of people had a lot of hope in a few years ago, which was Ross Barkley, whose career has gone absolutely nowhere. Yeah, but there may be, that may be his own doing. Though. It could be his own doing, but it also, I think, does say something about why is it that we've... I mean, it is pretty frustrating that finally we produce someone in Harry Kane who's got the potential to be a world-class striker, maybe already is a world-class striker, and yet now we've gone back to having midfield problems, or creative <laughs> creative midfield problems anyway. Stephen, do you, do you accept that? That's, that's Southgate showed qualities of leadership but also limitations as a coach. Yeah, he was great at bringing players through. I mean, in, in some ways, and yeah, and, and, and nurturing them and, and looking after them. And in some ways, Deschamps' success does show them, because he, I mean, crucially had the advantage of not needing to because he had such great players. But he did similarly have this quite rigid idea of how his team would, would set up. Uh, yeah, the, the young, the persistence with young in that second half against Croatia, I did also think was was mystifying. I do think there is um, something interesting about the fact that English football cannot seem to sustain the career of a proper playmaker. In the there, you know, obviously, Ravel Morrison. There are personal reasons why Morrison's career did not go the way it is. Barclays, Wilshire's. Now, Wilshire, I think, is particularly interesting because why is Wilshire's career stagnated? Partly because of personal choices he's made, but also because he's been kicked off the park. Uh, suffered injuries, but also not the recovered. way he played the game. I mean, he had a very ri- high risk style of play, yeah. which which led to his his being kicked, as you said. Yeah. Uh, which does make it harder to um, develop a player of that type. You know, the the only kind of genuine creative forces you have Lampard, who of course worked incredibly hard in very difficult circumstances to do much better. I would argue than his raw abilities would have taken him. Gerard, who was a skilled. Footballer, well, but they were I also think not very good. Yeah, they weren't play, yeah, they yeah, were they playmakers. Yeah. Like a Pirlo of Italy who took yeah. the ball from the defence. No, I think that Lampard, I mean, I watched Lampard as a very young player at West Ham and he, I think he aspired to be a playmaker. But when he really transformed himself into an international class player at Chelsea, he wasn't actually a playmaker. He was somebody who was going to come late into the box and score a lot of goals. Helen, you're a West Ham fan. Wilshire's yeah. now go, has gone to West Ham. Are you, are you hopeful? 
I think I've always had a soft spot for Jack Wilshire because it's always been clear that Jack Wilshire's had a soft spot for West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, and, and uh, he's a kind of player that obviously that I would like to uh, do well from England's point of view. I mean, I think he also represents that thing that worries me at least about the nature of some of the the young players that we bring on. That it seems that the success that they get in the Premier League goes to their head and a, a lack of willingness to really take care of themselves, to sort of follow the Ronaldo example. Now, he may be a complete outlier in terms of just how devoted he is to making sure that he stays fit and nurturing his body, but the, I think there's been a bit of a tendency amongst England, England players, at least in the recent past, not to go anywhere near that model. of. Yeah, that may be changing. I mean, Rio Ferdinand says he remembers when um, Ronaldo, as a young player, was at United and was actually living quite close to... Ferdinand and Ferdinand visited him at his house and there was a chef, there were doctors there, there were physiotherapists. He already had a, had a team around him because he wanted to be the best and he wanted to make sure he had the team to enable him to be the best. Were you encouraged by what I called and perhaps I was being swept along by the euphoria, a reawakening of a sense of progressive English nationalism during the tournament, an alternative to what we've been seeing with the Brexit d- debate and the polarisation of our politics? I think it was encouraging that um, that there was the absence of polarisation in it. And I think that if you go back to what happened in the in the, uh, the Euro Championships in 2016, obviously there was many footballing reasons why there wasn't much unity around supporting that team. But I think there were also political reasons to that too. There were quite a lot of, I know, hardcore England fans who were just saying, I don't want anything to do with it because it represents the England that I, that I, that I, that, that I don't. Um, like and that seems and what was that a reactionary England? Yeah, and and also I think of just that sort of okay, um, England in some sense is really responsible for Brexit. Therefore, the symbols of Englishness are not something that we want to rally around. And that seemed pretty absent. Yes, I mean almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely absent um, this time um, round. And Southgate certainly, in symbolic terms, in terms of. Um, the team itself, the, the way that he talked about the team that he'd created and the things that he said, I think certainly acts as a kind of symbol of that um, progressive English nationalism that you're um, talking about. I mean, I think that the, there's a pretty complicated relationship between English nationhood and the English football team. And I think that part of it is going to not be of the progressive nationalism kind of the kind that you might want to encouraged because for a very long time is is that the English football team was really the only symbol of or one of the few symbols shall we say not perhaps the only one the only one of the few symbols of English nationhood that was at all culturally acceptable that could be that could be um, expressed and it was bound up with class because of the fact of the the fact of the the, how connected class has been to English um, football to British football actually um, in this Okay, so I think that it's it's always going to be uh, a complicated set of issues around English football and English nationhood because there are going to be people because that was the only part of English national identity that could readily be expressed that will attach a different kind of meaning. Because to English Englishness nation. was lost in a kind of the, the larger framework of Britishness. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Stephen, were you were you cheered by um, sort of by the mood in the country, but also some of what Southgate was saying? He spoke about how England had lost its way, not just in football terms, but he seemed to be suggesting culturally. And he said the diversity and youth of this team could offer the face of a new England. Well, it did It did give people something to unify around and cheer about. 
the interesting hypothetical in terms of was it a progressive Englishness is how would we be talking about this England team if we were eight years into a Labour government that was midway through a incredibly divisive but also ultimately transformative project, right? Brexit will fundamentally change British politics in a way that we really still haven't properly got our arms around. Would we? Would it then be weirdly quite a reactionary success? Because it is, um, you know, if you're a supporter of most left-wing causes, this is really the only thing to do with England as a polity that you've been able to cheer for quite some time, as well as it being a very likeable team that's easy on the eye um, and sort of all of that stuff as well. Um, so obviously it is cheering that uh, England were likeable and presented a face to the world that isn't just, you know, Boris Johnson going around the, the world insulting people. And so, yeah, it was, I think, cheering and did bring people together. I mean, of course, the weirdness of English nationhood is that it's the reason why it struggles to express itself is because because it's so dominant within the structure of the United Kingdom because of its greater size. Um, it kind of just both absorbs Britishness and kind of takes on as its dominant identity and then weirdly can't express itself because what is English, what is Britishness if not Englishness because of the dominance of England. Of course, all of this would be uh, would be a lot more uh, fraught and also more multi-layered if... Uh, Scottish football were able to get back on its feet again. Yeah, produced start producing decent players as the Scots produced in the 70s. But of course, Scotland can define itself against England. And Scottish nationalism is confident and assertive at the, at the moment, which has also forced uh, a reconsideration of Englishness. Helen, before we, before we finish, I think we should talk about Russia and the tournament in Russia. Seems to have been received as a success. Has it changed perceptions about Russia, do you think? I think to some extent that it has, yes. Partly because such a kind of nightmare story was told about what it was going to be like, and then the reality turns out not to be like that. And so people say, okay, well, <laughs> Russia looks a, a much more ordinary place than that. Isn't that, that been than, than, than Putin's than... triumph? Not to create a kind of 1936-style Hitler Olympic Games, but to create a World Cup and an environment that makes Russia look like a normal country. I think so. But I, I think that this also goes to the, 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 the fact that the idea that it was ever going to be like the 1936 Olympics was, was, always, it was, always, was always nonsense. It shows a complete misunderstanding of what the nature of Hitler's project yeah. was in relation well, that was to Boris those, Johnson, who's an yeah, ignorant historian. Yeah, uh, of those um, games. So it was never going to be like the, the, the 1936 World Cup. I think there was an interesting kind of counterfactual at work if England had got to that. You know, final, which would be, you know, none of our government would have been there. And yet England fans by the end were going over in large numbers and you would have had actually some sense another of a disconnect between, you know, the establishment, at least if we might have necessarily like that term do for these purposes, and ordinary English fans going over there and not seeing the issue in the same way. I think that would that I it would think have been could very have, interesting it the way that been, Macron was there, wasn't yeah, he, both for the semi-final. Absolutely. And, the and, and that is not what our government did. Our government took a completely different attitude to it. And so our, our fans were getting more and more into the tournament, into yes. the team. And yet if we'd been in the final, then we wouldn't have had any official representatives. Do you think there. Corbyn would have gone? Um have we made the final? It's a good question, I which I really ought to have put tier, someone in tier the, the Kremlin for Germany, <laughs> do you think? Oh no, I mean I think they would have uh, I mean, they did. Labour did make excellent hay, partly by re-announcing their bank holidays policy, which <laughs> is very popular. And every time they announce it, of course, they have to join. And some people object to it, which means more people hear about it. They uh, got out in front with this whole like put it on in big screens, which is a very good example of 
clever thing for an opposition to do is call for something which will 100% happen because you can then always say you're leading the debate. Um, so I think it's unlikely that they uh, they they would have gone. Uh, I do think, weirdly, however, that in terms of England not going to the semi-final or final, if this had been a cricket World Cup, I find it more likely than the government would have decided and they would get, and this moment I'm going to show my ignorance of how the structure of a cricket tournament works. Do they have semi-finals and finals in they that? They do, yes, yeah. in the World but Cup. I feel that in the, if England got to the semi-final of that, Theresa May, who loves cricket, would, I think, have been more inclined to go, OK, maybe I will but go Russia along to it cricket, now. Yeah. Cricket in power, Stephen. But because, <laughs> but because football is not Theresa May's preferred game, I think then the kind of... The the just like, oh, but come on, I would quite like to no, go. A, a parallel example may have been yeah. sort of apartheid South Africa in the 1970s. Mm. Yeah. Then the we just didn't play. We just didn't play against them um, in that period. They were they were sporting pariahs. Um, before we wrap up, Helen, um, are you are you hopeful for this England team? Do you think they will continue to progress? Uh, I, I'm moderately hopeful. Moderately. Uh, and the reason why I am hopeful is is because I think the defence turned out to be much better than than I yes. thought. I mean, and I think that um, John Stones is a player who, who, you know, a lot of people have, you know, seen as having a lot of potential for some time and had a pretty poor season um, last season, particularly in the the Champions League. I think showed that he really was worth the hype. I think Harry Maguire turned out to be yes. a revelation. Uh, I think um, Trippier. I, mean, I thought he was good last season, but he really was. He yeah. was a really very very good player. Kyle Walker had a, a pretty poor start, I mm. thought, but really got better as the as and the playing tournament. out of position. Wasn't it? Yeah, uh, as the tournament um, um, went on, I do think Harry Kane is a world class striker, and that is the that is quite a lot going for yes, us in is. terms of this team. But I think until we have um, a, a better playmaker and probably someone who's a more clearly a defensive midfielder of the kind that Kante is but with pace then I think we're going to struggle at the top level In Italia after Italia 90 when we went out so traumatically yeah. in the semi-final to Germany after the shootout there was a great sense of optimism around the team and it was said that we also had great defenders then we had Des Walker Paul Parker yeah. had a great tournament Mark Wright still had Stuart Pearce four years later we hadn't, didn't even qualify for the World Absolutely. Cup under Graham Taylor so they <laughs> One never knows what what what, what I think might the, happen. The difference there is is, is that we went from Bobby Robson to Graham Taylor, and Graham yes. Taylor was a very good club manager, but he was out of his depth at international, international management. I don't think we can say that Southgate's out of his depth. I would hope that he would learn something from um, this, and, and 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 that he it's still on an upward trajectory. I would hope. Yes, and I think he's the sort of one hopes the sort of coach who will who will analyze and and, and think about mm. what he might have done differently, particularly in that second half against. Croatia. Helen, it's been great having you on Political Football. Pleasure. Stephen, um, my co-presenter, I think we're going to continue this in the autumn, aren't we? Yep. So we've, thank you to all our guests, um, John Bew, who's absent today, Ali McGovern, the Labour MP, David Winner, David Goldblatt. Have I missed anyone? No. That's Patrick Maguire joined Patrick us. Patrick Maguire, yeah. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Stephen and I will return in the autumn with a new Premier League season. You've been listening to Political Football And I'm Jason Cowley, editor of The New Statesman.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.